Welcome to the Productivity Podcast. This is episode three with our friends at Sims and Associates, Mal, Michael and Fabio are back for the conversation around post-implementation support. So if you cast your minds back to episodes one and two, we'd selected a vendor, we'd then done all the pre-work to kind of get ourselves set up. We then moved into pilot rollout phase. Now we're kind of drawing a line under the project. It's business as usual. So for me, one of maybe the the forgotten parts of post-project is this post-implementation support piece. And Mal, let, let's start with you. Typically, what do you see when, you know, the, the people that are on the project and the definition of a project is a defined start and end date, when they move off into other projects or to other roles? What kind of things do you see when people are starting to define internal support structures and the conversations that happen around where WFM should sit and who owns it? Um, I, I suppose, I guess through, during the project, what we see is we have key users coming from, uh, I guess, mostly the HR area. Um, and hopefully, at least some of those are retained as part of the uh, the support structure for the organization. Um, they obviously have all the, all the knowledge um, around how the solution has come together, the reasons why things have been done a particular way. So they'd be fairly key in being able to support that moving forward. Um, my hope, or I suppose what I've seen work quite well is where you have the WFM team as part of a a greater HCM or HRIS support team, because, you know, it's part of a a much bigger landscape and being able to comprehend not just what's happening within WFM, but understanding where information is coming from, where it's going to, and what the channels are to make that happen, I think is is pretty key. So uh, having that, I guess, holistic view is really important. Yeah, so Fabio, it sounds like some of those foundations are laid in pretty much the stuff we talked about in episode one and two of some of these people are permanent roles. There will be transient people in the the project in kind of quotes, but from what Mal's saying, these people should exist ongoing. We shouldn't, in an ideal world, see at the end of the project lots of new people coming in who don't know the, the heritage and the legacy and the understanding and project team or move off is that fair to say yes that is correct and it really depends on the organization and how they are set up if it if, if it's a larger company and they have their own hri hris team that is you know that is ideal like mal is saying but if it sits on it or if it sits uh, with hr as long as everybody is identified from the beginning and they know what the role is going to be uh, at Project Sunset, then it, it really helps that everybody has been identified because then they will naturally transition into this role. Uh, if you have to do a hard handover to a new team and people who have not been part of the project at all, uh, that doesn't go as well. So, yes, you're right in, in what you're saying. Uh, and Michael, some of these people we're talking about would be classed as power users, super users, central users, all that kind of stuff. Those people become critical to the ongoing success of the project. So have you seen any good examples in terms of how they're trained ongoing 
how they're retained and when potentially they move on to different roles, how new super users are brought into businesses? Yeah, um, I, I think, unfortunately, it's it's quite rare that um, there is an, a long-term strategy towards the, the processes that Mel mentioned. And so knowledge management of the super users and the user group as a whole is is generally not well-defined. In organizations where it is well-defined, it should talk about how do we deal with new releases? Because when you look at you know, cloud-based software, when you look at workforce dimensions, there's a release, there are multiple releases in a year. So how are you going to deal with that? How are you going to deal with new functionality? How are you going to review what you're going to do with that, as well as new features that are coming up internally. So a good way to deal with that is to ensure that super users are part of sort of the internal first line to deal with any kind of requests coming through, but also maybe to lead some kind of internal user group um, to make sure that there's a platform, not just for the things that are urgent, but just to manage the day-to-day stuff. So it sounds like there may be an opportunity then for lots of businesses to have almost a, a talent bank of people potentially to step in into that role that, that maybe have a really uh, good understanding of this landscape or actually are just interested in it because those are probably the two things. But also from what you've said to get them really, really involved in all the future thinking. And I assume that would be working closely with uh, partners and the vendor to be involved in the thought process, maybe input into roadmap and all of those other areas? Uh, yeah, uh, absolutely, uh, especially with SMB. I mean, in a smaller organization, you don't have the scale necessarily to have multiple super users, to have a large user group uh, that can really carry this going forward. Um, so having a good partner to lean on uh, to potentially take some of that um heavy lifting uh, is essential for the long-term long-term success and for managing sort of the knowledge going forward. And Mal, people in this, let's call them super users for want of a better word, role, it's not the sexiest job in the world. You kind of get all the problems. Uh, Michael talked about, you know, first line support tickets and all those things. But what what other things would they be managing on a day-to-day or an ad hoc basis that that you see when you work with your clients? I I think hopefully when you're working with these these types of uh, tools and solutions, you're – have a have a plan in place and you're you're planning for the future whether that is just you know adapting current manual processes or a, a phase one approach that you've implemented um, moving to something more complex or um, or just taking advantage of new features and things that are coming out in releases I think that all needs to be uh, considered on a on a I guess a day-to-day basis. I mean, things are changing all the time. Uh, if you're involved in the various communities that vendors have, um, then you're getting a, a pretty deep understanding of what other organisations are experiencing and what things you maybe either need to be aware of um, or, or can take advantage of. 
and there's things that happen in certainly if we think about retail big retailers so we might change a reporting structure so a store might move into a different area we might recut the areas uh, we might buy a new store we might close a store so that those processes will already be in place across the wider business but again there'll need to be some thinking about how that's managed going forward because in some of the wfm solutions you know, a change in hierarchy means that you lose all the historical data in the old hierarchy because when you pull the report, it uses the new hierarchy. So, Fabio, it's kind of nuances like that, I think, which can maybe catch people out. Have you seen that in your uh, in your experience? Yes, uh, of course. And we, we always try that during the project phase or while we are designing whatever is going to be implemented, um, scalability is extremely important so that we try to think ahead uh, and warn them um, you are going to have to make some choices uh, otherwise in the future when you have a, a new store when, the, when where you bring a new company because M&As are more and more common now um, that your solution is still going to be able to function and to give you the data that you need to run your daily your daily operations so this is quite common so during during project we try really to get ahead of all of this uh, sometimes it's possible sometimes it is not depending on the tool that you are using and the system that you're implementing uh, those changes will be easy or they will not sometimes they will be you know small little projects on themselves so it it, it really is key uh, to go back to the first point and, you know, the, the recurring topic that we have been discussing all throughout this series, which is uh, make sure that the people that are part of the design are also going to have some ownership in the tool in the future and that they can make decisions and that those decisions actually stick and make sense for the business uh, in the long term as well. Yeah, no, that's a good point to take us back to there. And Michael, We've talked about this kind of super user role, some of the challenges they'll face, some things will be clearly documented and, fo- and thought through. But as Mal said, they may sit in a, a wider ecosystem of other um, solutions that that business has or maybe cloud-based and, and they interface in with. So there's, there's a whole connectivity bit of other solutions could be changing which impacts the WFM solution, plus the point of, and I think it was yourself that made it, the vendors now tend to do point releases each year or, or upgrades every quarter. So there's always going to be something changing and to be managed in, in that role is my assumption. Yes. Yeah. There, there are always changes and it is, it is so important that the environment that's constantly changing is managed. So you, you have to have a, a long-term strategy and, and a governance uh, in place to review that because we have, well, there's currently a customer I'm working with. They are implementing three different uh, software solutions that are impacting HR and it's all happening in parallel. And they're wondering why the timeline of the project keeps moving. It is so important that there is an overarching governance structure that looks at that, what is happening to the environment can we manage that? What is the requirement? What are the changes? And how are we going to deal with that? And make sure that the vendors have a seat at the table 
so that they can help address some of these barriers. And it it sounds like governance. We've not really touched on it in the in the second episode. We did clearly in the first because we talked about coming back to the the why you're doing it. But that governance moving forward, then including a good test strategy and release strategy must be critical for the ongoing success because there must be a real risk that things aren't tested correctly or released correctly and actually then the user community starts to lose faith in the output from the solution yeah absolutely i mean for one the the testing that you just referred to i mean testing there's always little gaps there's always things that were overlooked there might be things that were parked on an issue log that we said, okay, that's for a phase two. So you constantly have this sort of parking lot with requests, with issues, and they need to be reviewed, they need to be scheduled, they need to be addressed. Um, And so having that governance in place, not just for the implementation, but also post-implementation is essential to help manage that and to help prioritize. Brilliant. And Mal, let, let's say we've had our solution in for two years. How do we go back and refresh, revitalize the energy? Because people will have fallen into a rhythm and routine that, that may be uh, correct and may be driving the ROI and the benefit we perceived. There'll always be others that have found maybe ways to, to work around it or revert back to type. Have you seen good examples where people have kind of maybe got a small collection of the project team back together or other influential individuals and almost done some assessment and refresh of comms and things or, or does that just happen organically as you as the product kind of lives and breathes ongoing it depends on the company really and and what their strategy is around product development and product changes um, if they're doing things according to the vendor releases then maybe you know that's a a bit of an easier thing for them to plan and have a, a change process built into that taking advantage of some uh, solutions to plan changes and then plan uh, communications and all the kind of stuff that goes around a, a change program uh, according according to that or if we're just doing, you know, minute changes uh, as our resourcing and, and timelines are available, um, I think that that's much more ad hoc. Maybe it's a bit more agile uh, and potentially a little bit harder to plan uh, a complete change program around. Um, yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not sure. Okay. No, that's fine. We don't need to be sure about everything. I think there's, for me, there potentially are some points depending on the journey that you've taken. So let's say we've started with template scheduling and we move to auto scheduling or semi-automated scheduling, however you want to describe it, whichever flavor you've picked. For me, that's almost a, a project in itself. So again, probably one for you, Michael, have you seen good examples where there's been big config changes or I don't know somebody's bought forecasting into the equation or like I said auto scheduling where it's treated as almost its own project because of the scale of change and the consideration that's needed across the wider solutions yes uh, absolutely so whether it's a small change or a large change like you know there there are plenty of customers that are implementing uh, timekeeping first and then they uh, uh, go into uh, scheduling 
uh, or move to advanced scheduling. And whatever the project is, if there's a change in functionality, it means training. It means, you know, uh, it's, a, it's a mini project in itself, obviously. Um, but it's also, as, as Mel mentioned, the, the change management component. And so it's, it's effectively uh, redoing the same thing. But I think what is very important to help make that decision process, help prepare for these kind of changes, is that you do like a, a periodic review, like uh, whether it's quarterly or annually, some kind of business review with the vendor to say, okay, what, what's a new functionality that's come into play? What kind of opportunity does it give us? How are we as an organization changing? How is, how is our solution environment changing? Do we need to look at integration? Sometimes they come to us and they say, uh, it doesn't work anymore. And then you understand that in the background, uh, something has changed. Uh, they've implemented a new solution tool and sort of the integration that was in place um, is no longer working. So making sure that you have this kind of recurring exchange to look at what's changing both in the micro environment of the solution itself, but also in a larger scale with the organization and the market enables the customer, you know, to, to help sort of plan ahead in terms of how do you manage the knowledge, how do the knowledge, how do you manage the tool and what are we going to do about it together? Yeah, and I think it's a really good point you make there about knowledge. So clearly once you've rolled out and you're in business as usual, the vendor doesn't disappear. You know, the likes of you guys, if you've supported during implementation and rollout, don't disappear. You may take a different role. So that sit on the steering group, sit on the quarterly updates to provide guidance. And one thing that strikes me and what I've seen is some of the, the biggest challenges for the user community are more around UI changes than functionality changes, if that makes sense. So when there's a an update from the vendor and they've re, reworked the UI, I tend, tend to see that that causes more um, challenges for the super users because it generates lots of queries and where's this button gone and that, that used to be a green button and now it's blue, than some of the, I suppose, more intelligent functionality changes. So for me, that I suppose there's a watch out that as as all the vendors are in a cycle of driving for richness in functionality, more bells and whistles, we shouldn't forget that the biggest impact is on the user community. So the the more change that goes on generates clearly in the background, more testing of all the integration points, all the functionality points, all the configuration points. But there's always that big ongoing education piece for the front end users. And if they, don't use that functionality or can't deal with new look and feel, then clearly that's when you start to see a, a reduction in the ROI. So Mal, final thoughts then as we close the series and we'll, we'll come around to Fabio and Michael in a second. Final thoughts on kind of the whole workforce management journey, the bits we've talked about, any last thoughts you want to leave the listeners with or hints and tips? I guess it's just a, a it is a big process and it's a big change. I think that people come into a WFM project assuming it's not going to be as big as it ends up being. Um, so being able to be aware that it is a big process, um, there is 
potentially a lot of learning involved and uh, it's a large change process that needs to be implemented uh, that needs to be planned right right from the beginning of the project is hugely important uh, and uh, of course making sure that the governance is in place uh, as part of that is going to help throughout the project phase and when we get to go live so that you we're able to hand across to the business um, and they're able to move forward and develop their WFM environment in an effective way. Brilliant. And Michael, your closing thoughts? Um, governance, governance, governance. It's making sure that when you buy a solution, when you implement the solution, when you think about implementing solution, think about the entire life cycle. So even if you're not ready to have that conversation at the beginning of the implementation, make sure that before you go live, before you sign off, you think, okay, so what's gonna happen next? What are we going to do next? How are we gonna work together? How are you going to help me manage the knowledge, manage the success of the tool? Because as a vendor, we want you to be successful. And so it's not, it's not always about selling. It is about customer satisfaction. It is about success. And so managing that success means working together. And so don't be afraid to call. Don't be afraid to say, okay, what are we going to do tomorrow? What are we going to do next year? And how are you going to help me make, be successful? Brilliant. I love those closing thoughts. And, and last but not least, Fabio, your closing thoughts? Yeah, just on top of what the guys have said, I would, I would recommend that uh, we always keep present why we are doing this kind of project. Uh, keep coming back to that because it can, at some point, get messy. Uh, this is a complex process. It changes... Uh, how people interact with their most basic HR systems. It can have an impact on how people get paid. Uh, so there will be a lot of back and forth, uh, but it's always important to remember why we are going this on, on these processes. Uh, and then that, that can make things easier. And of course, as we have been saying all throughout the series, uh, remember to have people in the meetings, in the workshops, that can make decisions and that will continue to be part of supporting the, the product all throughout its, uh, its life cycle. Brilliant. Thank you. Yeah. So just for me, just to echo those points, yeah, absolutely. Governance, which we talked about in this episode and, and episode two and episode one, how you set up with that longer term view and try and keep that key expertise in those roles that become business as usual and back to Fabio's point, always questioning the why. So in those governance meetings, why did we start the project? Why are we doing the project? Why are we getting the ROI? What are we doing well? Or almost why aren't we getting the ROI? What can we do differently? So guys, it's been uh, it's been a fascinating chat. I think anybody who's listened to this will take away some some of your pearls of wisdom and hopefully can implement them. If they want to get in touch with you, you're all on LinkedIn and in the show notes, we'll post the links there. And we'll also post a link to the Sims and Associates website. So again, if anybody wants a, a chat about a, a particular topic regarding WFM, then click the link and uh, arrange a call with one of the guys or Amanda who runs the company. 
And finally, just for me, uh, Mal, Fabio, Michael, really, really appreciate you taking the time out for this series and look forward to catching up soon. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Sam. Thank you.